Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Goh. Welcome, Brewers fans, to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm Peter Go, your host. It's been a couple of weeks, but I'm back and excited to cover Brewers. Brewers have just been rolling along uh, in my absence. Another great week, five out of six. Overall, looking good and taking care of business. David, today, what's your good word? I'm happy to have you back on the podcast, Peter. And, of course, I'm happy to see the Brewers winning ball games still. Haven't really missed a beat, uh, even since the All-Star break, rolling into the trade deadline. The encouraging win that I saw out of the Brewers was that Friday game. The Brewers took the game 9-5. A little bit of a rough start there. Burns uh, didn't quite have his best stuff, especially in the first inning, allowed four runs. But the Brewers' offense came roaring back. Not words that we usually say, but they were able to take a 9-5 win after putting up a four spot in both the third and the fourth and cruising to uh, the the first game of that series, able to take it from Atlanta, setting the tone for the series, one, two out of three. That was really encouraging, and I was really pleased with the Brewers' effort in that game on Friday. Yeah, and the Braves haven't exactly lived up to expectations this year. I know they've had injuries and, of course, Ozuna's situation, but still a, a good team Brewers were facing. Certainly no Pittsburgh Pirates, so anytime you can take two out of three and take two out of three on the road, certainly happy with that so five out of six on sixth road games like you said Brewers offense really picking up the Brewers starters who have obviously been outstanding uh, so far in the year and it really is crazy to see where the Brewers are in the division now 63 and 43 uh, seven games up uh, from Cincinnati Reds nine and a half uh, excuse me Cardinals nine and a half games back so really continuing uh, just to plot along like you said keep on taking care of business um, and, you know, one day it's, you know, one day it's Corbin Burns, one day it's Brandon Woodruff. The other day it's the Brewers offense, Brett Anderson, uh, really just Brewers firing on all cylinders today. So I know that you covered the MLB trade deadline in the last episode, but I just wanted to, you know, emphasize the impact that the trade deadline had, not only for the Brewers and the NL Central, but all of Major League Baseball. So today's trivia question is now that the deadline has passed, where do the Brewers rank among World Series favorites, according to MGM bets? So looking at betting odds for the World Series, not a betting man myself, but just kind of curious to see where do they think the Brewers line up? Uh, now that, of course, we see Max Scherzer and Trey Turner going to the Dodgers. You know, I'm sure you mentioned this in the last episode, but 10 All-Stars being shipped um, right at the end of the trade deadline it was definitely the craziest trade deadline uh, that has happened in, in my lifetime and probably the craziest deadline we've ever seen. So a lot of a lot of great players being moved to that deadline. And we did see a shift in who's likely to come out of the National League, who's likely to has the best chance to win it all. So there's our trivia question of the day. David, be mulling that over. Uh, and as always, we will cover that trivia question at the end of the podcast. So, David, who is today's random player of the day? Today's random player of the day is an ex-Brewers reliever. Played, I think, just one season with the Brewers back in 2012. Had a 3.63 ERA in 67 innings. That would be Jose Veras. I was listening to a baseball podcast, uh, a little bit more on the emphasis of coaching and player development. And the interviewee 
referenced uh, having a good relationship with Jose Veras. So kind of brought me back. I haven't thought about that name in a long time, but wanted to feature him because he was a solid reliever for the Brewers for that one year. I remember the Brewers trying to bring him in in, in 2011, keep that strong bullpen going after they had in part wrote it to their success in 2011. Unfortunately, they weren't able to do that, but Vera certainly did his part being a solid middle reliever. Uh, I believe they traded Casey McGee in exchange for Varus. So uh, another former Brewer, uh, kind of a random Brewer name, uh, and one who had a pretty solid couple-year run with the Brewers and McGee. But Varus then bounced around after his Brewers uh, Brewers tenure, going to Houston, Detroit, uh, Chicago Cubs, and then back to Houston to finish his career. Ended up playing nine years in the big leagues, 3.91 ERA, pretty good. His best couple years were in Houston, where he threw 75 innings, uh, 3.63 FIP, and a 2.97 ERA uh, with the Astros. So pretty nice nine-year career for a, a middle reliever in Jose Veras, and he is today's random player of the day. Of course, the Brewers did make those three fairly big trades at the deadline, getting Eduardo Escobar, Daniel Norris, and John Curtis, but a number of other moves coming as well during the past week. Uh, the big ones coming actually, unfortunately, related to COVID. Yelich tested positive for COVID despite the fact that he is vaccinated, displayed some mild symptoms, and, and had to go on the COVID list because of that. Jace Peterson was deemed a close contact, so he is in quarantine as well. And then a couple days later, Hunter Strickland, Jake Cousins, and Yandel Gustave all going to the COVID list. I think Cousins and Gustave tested positive with Strickland being a close contact, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I know all three of them on the COVID list. And having those couple guys all sent to the list, the COVID list, definitely doesn't bode well for the Brewers right now. I, of course, I think they will be able to get through this stretch without a few of their, their players, but also, you kind of realize that the concern is still there, and you especially hope that they don't lose a key member of the team down the stretch if they might need one of them in, in September or October. Uh, the Brewers did make a few corresponding moves. They did have to activate Curtis and Norris in light of that, so uh, they took a couple of their roster spots. They selected Blaine Hardy from AAA Nashville, left-handed relief pitcher formerly with the Tigers. He was a pretty good relief arm back uh, five, six years ago with the Tigers. Hardy having a difficult journey back to the big leagues, but he finally made it. It was a very exciting day for him. You could see just the joy on his face to be back in the major leagues. And one guy who was optioned out was, unfortunately, Keston Hira. We kind of were anticipating that, especially when Escobar was acquired, but bought him a little bit of time when Yelich went on the injured list with Kane being reactivated off the injured list. Uh, but Hira back down in AAA, and I think at this point it's pretty likely that he stays there for the rest of the year. Only a little over a month left in the AAA season. Telez has been swinging the bat really well. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Vogelback coming back from the DL soon, as is Shaw. So there's really not much room in that Brewers infield for Keston Hira. So looks like Hira might be down for the rest of the year. Escobar being activated after the trade. Brewers have some nice infield options, but a flurry of moves uh, in light of both the trade deadline and a mini COVID outbreak within the team. Yeah, like you said, anytime, of course, you're without Christian Yelich, you know, it's a downgrade. But certainly, I think the Brewers will continue to have success, even without Yelich in the lineup every day and losing a couple of those arms as well. Brewers have been able to have some key players step in um, and overall have shown pretty good depth this year. So hopefully we'll see that continue 
and Brewers just continue to build up that lead in the National League Central, which really will come in handy and will be super important as we look at how the playoff seeding will go. I know it's uh, maybe maybe a little too early to continue to speak as if the Brewers have already won the NL Central, but seven games up into August now, um, a lot of things would have to go wrong to not see Milwaukee in the playoffs. So at this point, I think it's really important to be looking at positioning, seeding. Of course, we've got some very good teams in the National League. Some of those teams, of course, getting better uh, recently in light of the trade deadline. So I want to take some time here to do a quick segment, power ranking the NL playoff contenders. So we're going to go rapid fire with you, David, here. Uh, we got seven, our top seven teams listed. We're going to go seven to one. And if you could just share your thoughts a little bit about the team, both in light of the recent transactions that the team may or may not have made, as well as what where you see their potential lying in October. So starting off with number seven, who is your number seventh best National League playoff contender, David? Number seven is going to be the team that the Brewers just squared off against over down in Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves. They're still a little bit below 500, but the Mets have kind of kept them in the race at this point. Only three and a half or four games back of the Mets right now. Uh, you know, I could put the Phillies at number seven as well. And the Phillies made a couple good moves at the deadline, adding Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy. But I think the Braves are the better team right now. They've had a little bit better pitching lately. Uh, they've been very average. They actually have run off a streak of, I think, 16 straight games now where they alternate wins and losses which is uh, actually, I think, tied for the longest streak of that nature. Uh, kind of just an interesting nugget. But they added a couple nice bats to supplement their lineup. Some more of platoon bats added Jock Peterson recently, Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall, and Eddie Rosario. All nice additions to an offense that I think has desperately needed some help, especially Acuna out for the rest of the year, Marcel Ozuna looking that way. So I think the Braves are still a better team than the Phillies. The Phillies don't have quite good enough supporting players. And for that reason, I am going to go with the Braves at number seven. Coming in at number six, the Cincinnati Reds. Reds are sitting seven, seven games behind the Brewers, but they are still 56 and 50. They've had a pretty successful year. Nick Castellanos coming back soon. A couple decent bullpen additions at the, at the deadline. Michael Givens, Justin Wilson, Louis Sessa. So they are still in contention, although there are, I think, too many holes in their roster for them to be able to overcome the deficit that they face with the Brewers playing so well and leading that NL Central by seven games. I mean, at number five, the New York Mets. And for a team that really hasn't had things go their way, having a Mets postseason berth would go a long way for the fan base, especially for a fan base that now drafted Kumar Rocker at number 10. News came out today that he is not going to be signing with the team, losing out on their first-round pick. So the Mets fans certainly are looking for some hope where they can. Getting DeGrom back and helping him put them back on the right track to win the NL East would go a long way. They're coming in at number five on the power rankings. Number four, the San Diego Padres. They have a roster with superstar talent all around. They acquired Adam Fraser, who's leading the major league in hits right now, to play second base. Eric Hosmer even relegated to bench duty for now. But they've still struggled. Blake Snell, ERA five and a half. Denelson Lamette has not been healthy very much. And to be honest, they've underperformed significantly. They are still 14 games above 500, uh, sitting pretty well in the wild card spot. The second wild card, four games ahead of Cincinnati. I do think the Padres are going to make the playoffs, but their rotation's a little bit more thin than we thought it would be. 
I, for that reason, I don't see the Padres making a deep postseason run. They're coming in at number four. Number three, the San Francisco Giants. The Giants have overperformed by pretty much every measure this year. They're 66 and 39. Their 66 wins lead Major League Baseball right now to pretty much everyone's surprise around the industry. Kevin Gosman's been excellent. Anthony DeSclafani, Alex Wood have both picked up uh, and performed very well in the middle of that Giants rotation. Some resurgent years from Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt have all led the Giants to have the success that they've had. But I don't see the Giants as being a true World Series contender. Adding Chris Bryant certainly helps, but the roster is just not nearly as deep as that of the Dodgers or the number two team in the, the power rankings, our favorite Milwaukee Brewers, who have that three-headed monster of Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta. Of course, we've talked about them a lot. You can't really talk about them enough. Freddie Peralta is now leading the major leagues in ERA, or leading the NL, rather, in ERA at 2.17. Corbin Burns near the top of that Fangraphs war leaderboard um, with 4.9, and Woodruff near the top of pretty much every category as well. No team wants to face the Brewers in the postseason. That's what executives, managers, players have been saying all year, that the Brewers are the sleeper. And now the offense is coming alive, looking like a, a real force and a real threat in the postseason. Nobody wants to face the Brewers. They're coming in at number two. And then number one, you can't really choose anyone but the Dodgers. The Dodgers have as deep of a roster as we've seen maybe since the late 90s Yankees, maybe even ever. The Dodgers now added Trey Turner and Max Scherzer to a roster that already includes Walker Buehler, Clayton Kershaw, Kenley Jansen, Mookie Betts, MVP Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy. It's kind of an embarrassment of riches over in LA. And if they don't repeat as champions, it's going to be a failure of a year for them. They're coming in at number one. I do think they're still the favorite for the World Series and the favorite to come out of the National League. And for that reason, I am ranking them at number one rounding out the power rankings of the NL playoff contenders. I think it's interesting as we look at your top seven here to also delineate between playoff contenders and top seven teams, because I think those are two different things. I think perhaps some uh, outsiders looking in who aren't from Milwaukee or aren't Brewers fans may seem it surprising to see the Brewers at number two ahead of San Francisco, who, like you said, has a better record than the Brewers. And even San Diego, who you could argue has um, on paper a better roster. Um, so I think it is interesting to delineate between, you know, top seven teams versus top playoff contenders. Because like you said, with the Brewers starting pitching and their bullpen, um, it's going to be tough for teams to get on the board against the Brewers. Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, games one through three. I mean, that's just a tough draw. Um, just as tough, of course, in L.A., where now you're going to be facing – uh, two Hall of Famers in Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, and of course, uh, Walker Bueller, who's been especially good in the playoffs. Um, but an incredibly deep rotation, lineup, roster, uh, deep pockets as well over in LA. And certainly they're showing that. Um, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see. I think if the, if the Dodgers do repeat this year, perhaps that brings up some questions around, you know, the the revolving question around salary cap in major league baseball, as well as the way that rentals play a role in the free agent market and the trade deadline. Cause we obviously saw um, a big increase in the number of players uh, not only traded this year, but a lot of rentals traded as well. And just kind of the way things went 
So interesting to see if the Brewers, excuse me, if Major League Baseball decides to make any changes uh, around that. Like you were saying just now about rentals, that's one thing that I've been thinking about. Of course, the Brewers have benefited from that as much as anyone over the years. You especially think about CC Sabathia in 2008 being the obvious one, but now rental and the market for rentals has changed significantly. It's not necessarily that you're trading for CC Sabathia, it's that you're trading for a half year of CC Sabathia, or in this case, Max Scherzer, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez. And that significantly lowers the price because now more than ever, general managers are looking at how much team control um, do does a team have over a player. So having a half year significantly lowers the value. And as a result, the contenders are able to acquire players that are on big salaries and that have very, very big talent. And they're able to take those and trade some lesser prospects for them. We saw the Chris Bryant trade, I think like the Giants number 10 and number 20 prospect for Chris Bryant. Even the Nationals getting two superstars. Turner's not a rental, so that one is different. But Scherzer, who is one of the best pitchers in baseball, has been for almost 10 years. And the Dodgers get them for a couple very good prospects, but nowhere near what they would get if you were just trading for a couple years of Scherzer and Turner. And now the Dodgers roster is that much better. The Nationals roster is that much worse. It becomes kind of a competitive problem where now we're seeing even bigger disparity between teams. Should MLB look into maybe creating a clause where once a player is within a year of free agency, he is unable to be traded? I think that's something that would be worth considering that, of course, would change the, the, the landscape of the trade deadline uh, until the rule became abolished or they adjusted it again. But I think it's something worth considering with the way we saw rentals flying off the board for discounted prices and to kind of create these super teams, especially, of course, the Dodgers. But even seeing the Yankees get Rizzo at a discounted price, we saw Brian and Baez and a number of other big names go at discounted prices at rentals. I think having a clause or a rule like that is something worth considering. Yeah, the market's certainly changed uh, the way that they value players and especially rentals. You know, gone are the days where, you know, I mean, think about the Cubs, for example, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, all three of those guys, you know, of course, household names in Chicago, you know, they won a championship. They brought the championship back to Chicago. I even think back, you know, a couple of decades back, there would have been no question about whether or not those players were going to get traded because they were the ones who got them to the championship and they were likely going to try to extend as many of those three players as they could because the fan base was going to rally around it. And I think there's less loyalty, team loyalty, even fan loyalty around the players. It, it probably acts more like a business than it previously did. And of course, free agency um, put into place um, a while back now. Um, but just, I think the way that the market moves and how GMs evaluate players, it's a lot more numbers based, data driven, financially based than I think it used to be before. And so I think that's also voted uh, to increase, uh, excuse me, has impacted the number of trades that we see at the deadline. And I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to considering a rule that would limit or eliminate the ability to trade a player who is a rental. Because like you said, we're seeing this across sports, especially, of course, in the NBA with the super teams. And it's, it's really no fun, especially if the Dodgers are to repeat again this year. It's no fun to see a team 
you know, spend about 300 million on their payroll three times uh, the Brewers who are potentially the second best team in the national league um, and try to have a fair competition again, three times the payroll. It's just not exactly fun to watch. So I wouldn't be opposed to it. I'm not sure that I want them to, to impose uh, severe restrictions around trading because it is part of the game. It is fun to see. It is fun to watch um, contenders try to make some moves and better their team, but definitely not at the detriment of competition and the way baseball has worked for decades. Yeah, Dodgers are 90 million above the second place Yankees in terms of payroll. Shout out Coach Riley on Twitter on that one. A big member of Brewers Twitter. I don't know if you're listening to us, um, but your, his tweet went viral the other day, went on MLB memes, went on a number of big Facebook pages, saw it all over. Uh, his tweet about the payrolls with the Brewers coming in at 90 million definitely kind of highlights the disparity between the haves and the have-nots. And I think a big reason also just wrapping up on the issue of team control and the way teams value players. In some ways, players are kind of just a number on the spreadsheet. Not entirely, but there is a lot of that because even when you make trades, a lot of the times uh, analysis you say from Fangraph says this player based on his contract, based on what he, how much control he has, is worth $64 million and the prospects they gave up are worth an estimated 59 million it's not I like that guy's curveball and you like my veteran outfielder because he's got good contact skills they basically become more of numbers on a spreadsheet and I think as a result then we're seeing this these rentals less loyalty and kind of the the issues that Major League Baseball has faced and some things that they might have to address in this year's collective bargaining agreement if they do want to really strive towards the competitive game that they say that they want badly. Or, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, and even to your comment about, you know, I like that veteran outfielder's contact skills. I mean, I like that veteran's clubhouse leadership. I mean, you think about a guy like Curtis Granderson, who the Brewers acquired at the deadline a couple of years back, who came off the bench and, you know, had a few decent at-bats, but didn't necessarily add a ton of value. But you think about some of the intangibles that a guy like Granderson can bring as well. It can't be quantified. Uh, it never will be. And so I think we do lose some of that in the way that baseball's coached, managed, watched. I mean, it's everywhere at this point. So not to continue to just reiterate on that, but like you said, it'll be interesting to see what Major League Baseball will do. It seems like Manfred uh, certainly hasn't held back on creating new rules and restrictions. I think we all know that. So I wouldn't put it past him and MLB to look towards making changes in the offseason. But before we wrap up today and answer our trivia question, uh, you had mentioned Rowdy Telez earlier in the episode and talking about how he has been swinging a better bat uh, since the trade to Milwaukee Brewers. Of course, hoping for that when they acquired Telez. Anything that you specifically want to touch on uh, about Telez's success before we wrap things up today? First, I just want to recognize the fact that Telez has been very successful. He's been swinging the bat really well since he got to Milwaukee. It's been evidenced just by watching the games and kind of following him, seeing him bring in runs, 12 RBIs already in just 17 games. But he's hitting 349, 674 slugging, 431 on base percentage. All outstanding numbers, small sample size, sure. But it's still, I mean, he's done everything that you could have wanted Rowdy Telez to do so far. You look at some of the deeper stat cast numbers, and even for the entire year, combining Milwaukee and Toronto both stints, his expected batting average, 253, expected slugging, sitting at 444, a little bit above average there. 
So he has been a better player than I think his results have shown because in Toronto, he hit 209, slug 338. Seems like he was the victim of bad luck, kind of like uh, we saw with Travis Shaw earlier in the year. We saw with Ryan Braun a couple years ago where he just had a lot of hard hit outs. Rowdy Teles was kind of no different in Toronto. That's something the Brewers probably liked. Uh, maybe not that he was getting out a lot, but they liked that they thought that they could maybe get him at a little bit of a lower price, especially with him not really having a spot in Toronto. And now Telez is positioning himself to be the Brewers' quote-unquote first baseman of the future. Everybody likes to coin someone as the first baseman or the shortstop or the center fielder of the future. Now, of the future, what does that mean? Telez does, kind of going back to our team control discussion, he has, I think, four more years of team control following this one. Maybe it's three. But I know he has a number of years of team control left. The Brewers will have him under contract in arbitration coming up soon. So having a somebody like Telez, who could be a strong side platoon partner, meaning he hits against right-handed pitching at first base, and is a pretty good option offensively there, is someone that provides a good amount of value, especially for giving up about an average reliever in Trevor Richards. So I think Telez has really impressed so far. Another great one of Stern's trades, of course, a little bit early to tell still, but so far it's looking that way. The Adamas trade, he struck gold, of course, and the Telez trade might have struck gold as well uh, with the way that he's performed so far. And having him in that lineup in that fifth or sixth spot has been huge to have another run producer alongside Avisail Garcia or even Luis Urias at the bottom of the lineup has been producing now that Wong and Adames are up back and at the top. Uh, having Telez in there really deepens the lineup. Having Escobar also to hit left-handers at first base is something that's important to help deepen the lineup against both right-handers and left-handers. The Brewers do have a good lineup. I think Telez is a very important part of the lineup and pretty much as important as any piece uh, especially following another great one of Stern's trades. Yeah, Telez in the five or six spot significantly increases the Brewers' uh, depth in the lineup. And I think there was a lot of upside when the Brewers made that trade. I mean, like you said, Trevor Richards, really an average reliever for a guy who has a couple of years of control, perhaps seeing some bad luck. And even if he is able to be an average everyday player you know if you give up a middle reliever for an average everyday player who has three four years of control certainly see a lot of upside in that trade and the brewers like you said have been um, seeing that success already uh, immediately from telez and if we are able to see telez be you know the brewers average everyday first baseman going forward certainly another trade that is a win for the brewers we've certainly seen a lot of those from david stearns uh, and the brewers regime so good to see Rowdy swinging the bat well, and perhaps we'll see him as the Brewers' everyday first baseman for the next couple of years. So as we wrap up today, coming back to our trivia question. So now in light of the trade deadline, where do the Brewers rank among World Series favorites according to MGM bets? And I know we talked about how we're ranking through the NL playoff contenders. What is your guess for today's trivia question? Where do the Brewers land on the list of World Series contenders? My initial thought was fourth. So because of that, because of the, the betting odd anti-bias against the Brewers, I'm going to go with seventh. Close on that one. Uh, I will go, I'll just go in order here. Number one, not surprisingly, Dodgers sitting at number one. 
the Houston Astros, number two, followed by the White Sox, Padres at number four. And then tied for fifth are the Giants and Mets. And tied for sixth are the Red Sox and Brewers. So 18, top eight, Brewers are in the top eight. Tied for sixth with the Red Sox, which is sort of intriguing to me. I definitely would not agree with that at all. I'll certainly take the Brewers' odds over the Red Sox. Nothing against the Red Sox, but I think the Brewers just have a much better chance of winning the World Series than the Red Sox this year, given just the way the Brewers' roster is constructed. So Dodgers, very good odds at this point, one in three odds. And I apologize if these aren't um, – it looks like these are updated as of August 1st here. We're recording this Sunday night, so should be should be updated here. So Dodgers, um, excuse me, three to one odds. So very high odds, of course, the Dodgers. Um, jumping down to the Brewers, Brewers 12 to one odds. So certainly um, better than better than most, and we'll take that most of the year. But any any thoughts on where you think the Brewers landed on that list? Of course, I think it's not high enough. I do certainly believe the Brewers have a better chance of winning the World Series than the Red Sox. I think they do than the Padres because the Brewers, assuming they win the division, they don't have to play a one-game wild card like the Padres almost for sure will have to. And I don't even think the Padres roster is that much better on paper than the Brewers. They just have some bigger names. Uh, the Giants, I understand they're playing well. I, I, okay, if you want to say that the that the Giants are are up there, maybe ahead of the Brewers, I would probably put the Brewers around fourth or fifth. Maybe there is some bias there, but I, I do think the Brewers, especially when you look at World Series odds, not best record in the regular season, the Brewers are pretty well built for October. So I would probably put them in that fourth or fifth range. That's where I'd be. I'd be putting my money on the Brewers because I think they probably are ranked lower than where they should be more than pretty much any other team on that list. Yeah. I mean, to be behind, like you said, Padres, Giants, Red Sox, even the Mets Brewers. I'm confident the Brewers are a better team than the Mets. And even going back to the Padres, like you said, Padres are going to have to go through a one-game playoff. You never know what's going to happen in a one-game playoff. You know, one one thing goes wrong. You know, base hit to Trent Grisham. He misplays the ball defensively. All of a sudden, Padres lose a game. Of course, that's just a hypothetical thing that could happen in a playoff, one-game playoff, since you never know. But, uh, yeah, like you said, you never know. I'm, I'm, I was shocked to see the Brewers that low on the list. But uh, I guess that's Brewers are pretty used to that. They, they're, they've been overlooked for years now and still waiting their turn patiently. I would love to see a Brewers-Dodgers NLCS game. I'm sure uh, you would as well. And I actually think that is the most likely outcome that we do see a Brewers-Dodgers NLCS. And I expect a series like that to go to six or seven games and to be a very competitive series. And would you set the over-under at plus or minus would, – would you rather take the over-under maybe five and a half times that the broadcast booth shows a replay of Brandon Woodruff's home run off Kershaw? from 2018 in a hypothetical Brewers-Dodgers <laughs> NLCS. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we would definitely see plenty of those. Uh, but much better than uh, any Game 7 highlights. Uh, of course, I know both of us attending that one, and uh, I can still see that Yasiel Puig home run off Jeffress just absolutely silencing the Brewers crowd. And uh, if we do see a Game 6 or 7 NLCS, hopefully we'll be there. And it uh, would be a really, really exciting series Brewers, Dodgers, maybe the Brewers can make some magic and bring home a second championship to Milwaukee this year. So as we wrap up here in summary, just covering some transactions. Of course, Christian Yelich going to the COVID injured list, along with Strickland Cousins, Gustave as well. Uh, Curtis and Norris 
along with Blaine Hardy, um, all being activated with Kesson here being optioned. We may have seen the last of him uh, up in the major leagues this year. And then also taking a look at where the Brewers line up in David's NL playoff contenders. David setting the Brewers at number two, just behind uh, the heavily favored LA Dodgers. And then finally wrapping up about Rowdy Telez's success over at first base with the Brewers and his potential for being the everyday starting first baseman for the Brewers in the next couple of years. So David, before we head out today, any final thoughts that you have? I was looking at some of the, the Brewers pitching records, seeing that the Brewers could break a number of pitching records, both on a personal level and a team level. The best single season ERA for a qualifying starting pitcher in Brewers history, that'd be 1978 Mike Caldwell at 2.36 uh, for the ERA. Now, of course, 293 innings, Peralto, Woodruff, Burns, not going to come anywhere close to that, but they only need 162 innings to be officially qualifiers. Right now, Peralta sitting at 217, Woodruff sitting at 226, and Corbin Burns just a little bit above that mark at 2.46, just 0.1 runs behind Caldwell, though. It's possible that the Brewers will have three starting pitchers set the three best franchise records or the three best franchise marks for ERA in a season by a starting pitcher. And wouldn't that be incredible out of a starting rotation for that to happen? That would be a, a very difficult stat to find, but I would be hard-pressed to find another franchise with their top three ERA single-season holders all happening in the same season. Really, what the Brewers have done this year has been, our favorite word, unprecedented. And so that would be uh, pretty crazy to see uh, happen. So, And it's not, it's not exactly you know, impossible either. Like you said, Burns is not far behind there. It's easy to say, you know, just continue the success that they've had. But they, none of them show any signs of slowing down. So certainly possible the Brewers' top three single-season ERAs could be Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta and would be exciting to see. We'll continue to watch that as we progress into what's now coming into the final stretch here. We are now into August. Brewers really looking good in the NL, hoping for uh, a coast into the National League Central Divisional Champs. And like I said, hopefully we'll be lining up against the Dodgers in the National League Championship Series. And with that, just want to sign off. Go Brewers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there and interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.